All right. So I think as perhaps our most loyal listeners have picked up on at this point, this love podcast. Both of you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> hey, Karen. Hey, Steve. <laughs> um, this podcast is we, we are in a domestic partnership. Uh, we are sponsored by the delicious and amazing Social Tonic Can. That's C-A-N-N. Uh, I have a can in front of me right now, cranberry sage, just so you know, sipping mm, it and delicious. loving. Uh, but uh, as a result, uh, we decided to have uh, an episode this week with a really cool, exciting guest. But the episode in its entirety is going to be infused with a discussion of the cannabis industry and movement and how it kind of intersects with uh gay people at what's it what's it called lgbtqia <laughs> i don't know I, look i'm reading i'm reading notes that alan wrote they're pretty dry and boring but uh so yes yeah, so we have a we have a lightly infused by the way lightly infused, lightly infused it's like light. you're working at a marketing agency <laughs> just it's lightly light infused <laughs> can is lightly infused with two mi- mil- milligrams of thc and four milligrams mm-hmm. of cbd and where can they get can beverage brent uh, the website drinkcan.com. That's, That's can, can with, with two, two ends. ends. Ooh, Jinx, you owe me a can. Welcome to You're Making It Worse. We're here, we're queer, who cares? I'm Elliot Glazer. And I'm Brent Sullivan. And I'm H. Allen Scott. Textual healing. All right, so there was an article. That I sent to you. That's right. Well, (laughs) we don't normally give credit for articles, but Alan did send it to me. It was in Leafly, which sounds like one of these like deep cut blogs that Elliot spends all this time reading. <laughs> what was it? Auto Straddle or something? That's it's not a deep cut blog. It's like a hugely popular <laughs> right. blog for gay women. That's right. That's right. Anyway, but Leafly, which is a, a Elliot's website. Elliot's on it at 4 a.m. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but Leafly is a website devoted to marijuana, or as Elliot still calls it, the ganja. Uh, they recently, yeah, man. <laughs> uh, they were talking, they had an article that talked about the connection between the gay community and weed. And mm-hmm. I guess, first of all, I was actually surprised to see this. Um, I didn't know this, but a study it was a couple of years old, uh, showed that like usage of marijuana amongst gay people is the gay community is significantly higher than the straight community. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet again, proving that we're cooler. But like, for instance, 26% of lesbian women used medical marijuana in the past year compared to 10% for heterosexual heterosexual women. Those 29, Karens. That's right. 29% <laughs> of gay men had used medical marijuana, 17% for straight people. Mm-hmm. And regular usage of just regular non-medicinal marijuana followed the same pattern. Roughly twice as many gay people used it as straight. So yeah. the article talked about why is that and it proposed a couple different theories. And I just kind of wanted to chat them through and see what you guys think. Mm. One is it's a social tonic. It enables easier communication and for some and for some heightened intensity and intimacy. Elliot, I'm sure can speak to that, but- uh... <laughs> His bell hole's tingling. I mean, he truly is. He's moaning and groaning. Um, it also, you know, the, the article also talked about how, you know, the use of, of weed is significantly healthier mm-hmm. by magnitudes when it comes to sexual encounters than other drugs like meth, which has yeah. really become, you know, Ab- shockingly epidemic. prevalent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although I don't see it on grind. Elliot, Alan's in a relationship, boring, but Elliot, when you use grinder, do you still see references to PNP? A lot, a lot, I think a lot less. A lot less. It's, I don't think that means it's yeah. not happening, though. I feel yeah. like no, I, no, not that it's not happening. Oh no, no, yes. certainly. I think it's probably a lot less um, because there's a stigma know. now behind it. I think, I think, right, that's people that's like it. us being angry about it probably has led to people being embarrassed yeah. to put it on their grinder profiles. But they're they're probably finding it, other it ways. D- it does blow me away. Every once in a while, I I'll meet someone. Uh, I'll go on a date with someone, and, I'm, and I. <laughs> with regularity bring up pnp and like yeah. what they think of it and every once in a while someone's like yeah i tried it once and i'm like can you imagine like 
Maybe maybe just because the stigma is so strong. Can you imagine smoking meth just once and just being like, yeah, I might as well try it. I mean, you only <laughs> I literally live don't once. even know what it looks like. I, I swear know. to you, I don't even know. I've asked people like what it looks like. And it I, comes I in a chicken really McNuggets a container. Actually, it's a 10 piece <laughs> chicken McNuggets container. Well, I actually do know what it looks like only because I use the subway system in Los Angeles. And I've seen yeah. oh, right. it on there. But so the other reason why they uh, the article wondered why weed is so popular amongst gay people is that it's just purely anti-establishment or historically it is you know cannabis use and homosexuality both used to be viewed as immoral so now that we're sort of well past viewing both of them as immoral why not embrace them together um i was actually surprised the article talked about how in movies there was something called the haze code yeah um which the haze code was no, I was, yeah, I was you want to explain it? it? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, it was established in 1930, ended in 1966, but it was a, basically a form of censorship in the entertainment industry that essentially outlawed depictions of marijuana and homosexuality, among yeah. many other things, like really any drug use, anything lustful, inter, interracial well, relationships, etc. Just to correct that a little bit, there, mm. there was a the interesting thing about the Hayes Code and what sort of set up this trope within popular culture entertainment is that if there was a depiction of marijuana or queerness or whatever, then the person that was the character that was doing that thing or was that thing then had to face some sort of like tragic ending, had to die or had to be murdered or had to be something bad had to happen to them because it had to be a lesson for the viewer to say, you don't want to be gay because you'll end up a murderer or you'll end up dead or all these things. And that lasted Long past the Hayes Code ended in 19. I mean, you're looking at films like Cruising. You're looking at so many films where, you know, the gay person would be the victim of something or would die yeah. of something or there's always that. So it, it its impact in entertainment was huge. Yeah. Isn't it? Isn't that so surreal to think that there was a time like, you know, we live in a country that kind of beats the drum of how great we are constantly. Yeah. And while I, I certainly see and recognize our strengths, uh, it is so surreal to think that like, like during our parents' lifetime mm-hmm. and into their like young adulthood, like you couldn't see gay people in movies unless they were burned in a fire at the end. <laughs> or they were like lesbian <laughs> vampires. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but I mean, there so is surreal. the thing that I took from the article that I thought was so interesting was the sort of role, I mean, we all know this, but like the role that queer people play in sort of popularizing things, you know what I mean? Either be it be films or TV or movements or clothes or fashion or art or real estate or all of these different areas. Queer people really get in there and make it a thing and then straight people take it and do what they want with it. Look at online dating, for example, with like match.com and stuff. It was queer people using AOLs like instant message rooms to hook up and stuff that led to match.com, shit like that. And with marijuana, I think it's so, or with cannabis in general, I think it's so interesting that in some way, the sort of like outlaw image that film and television often did against queer people who would partake mm. in cannabis, it sort of led to like a social freedom of being like, well, yeah, of course I'm gay and I'm gonna get high this weekend and it's gonna yeah. be a great time and it's gonna have a lot of fun. And then that led to normalizing it in some way, I think for people who saw that there was nothing dangerous about, you know, partaking in cannabis or doing these things or being gay or all these different things. And it's sort of, I mean, the article really sort of like hit home on like how, like for example, the club kid scene and the use of sort of some things and the creativity within the club kid scene and their use of of marijuana sort of led to sort of a more creative use later on in terms of the drag scene and what we see now with RuPaul's Drag Race and stuff. I will say I was surprised in that I, I guess I, f- when I, <laughs> when I imagine or or I guess think about like gay men in particular, socially partying or socially doing drugs, I I think of something more like you know ups uh, um whatever like 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 marijuana tends to like calm you down even if it enhances mm-hmm. like sex mm-hmm. or whatever it's like I don't necessarily connect it to the sort of nightmare pounding music club scene that I picture in my head <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. And so I was surprised by that percentage because I guess I think of it as more of a domestic laid back thing. And mm. me too. And me too. And we'll, and we'll get to that later. Wait, Elliot, you, are you telling me that you weren't uh, a club kid when you were 19 years old? That you don't, you don't still have 10,000 unused glow sticks in your, in your closet? In, in a I used to watch, I used to watch those as a kid, watch them on like Sally, Jesse, Raphael as a kid oh, and be yeah. petrified of those people. <laughs> 
I was so afraid of those people in the news report, those people, the club kids and like the reports they would do on the news about like club kids and raves. And I was petrified of them. We, we, you really could. I forget if we've talked about this. You could, you could have a drinking game listening to our podcast. Yeah. Every time Elliot is afraid of something, <laughs> Every, yeah. you do a the shot. The post office. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> um, yeah, I realized, I realized, I think I'm, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I realized recently that I was petrified of the theme song from Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> oh, I think you had mentioned that at one point. Like there's something about like MIDI files that kind of disturbed yes. me still. Like that, that, me that, out. that, that so tinny funny. musical. Yes. Um, and the final yeah. thing that they thought uh, what might be the reason why cannabis is so big with gay people is that it's just intertwined with art. Weed shapes art yep. of all kinds and gay people are basically inherent in pretty much all art communities. So. Yeah. What do you think? Where, where where's your vote go? Oh, my my vote my vote completely goes with. I mean, I'm not like a huge stoner, if you will, but I do think that it has. You know, I'm kind of proud of sort of like what queer people have done around cannabis and like yeah. how so many queer people have like sort of taken it on themselves. Of and I mean, so many friends of mine. Although there are some friends of mine that I think should maybe be smoking a little bit less, but I. I, I just sort of love that it's just this like socially accepted thing in our creative space. And it, it's, it's, it, it, it promotes, yeah. I think a flow of creativity that, that I don't think other groups have because they're stuck up. Yeah. Yeah. I think the anti-establishment thing makes, makes the most sense to gay people. They, you know, they felt like outcasts and they said, well, then why not smoke the reefer, you know? <laughs> reefer madness. Reefer Come madness. little Jimmy. Come here, little Jimmy. Have some reefer. Not even joking. So our guest today, I mean, I'm super excited about that. He has done such amazing work in California, Los Angeles for the queer rights movement, the black rights movement. I mean, so many great, great, great things that this man has done. Paul Scott. Welcome, hey, Paul Scott. Paul. Thank Hello, you, man. Paul. Thank you, man. Now, have you done many podcasts before, Paul? Nah. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really chill. It's loosey-goosey. We're just going to have a little chat, a little conversation, and just, like, talk about some of the amazing work that you've done, which I think now, being Pride Month, is probably the best time to really talk about all the amazing work that mm -hmm. you've done. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things that when I was reading about you and learning more about you, even though we're gonna to get to some of the amazing work, I wanna talk about you being in the Navy. You started off in the Navy, which is kind of hot. Yeah. I mean, that, you should lead every conversation with, I was in the Navy. I was in the Navy. You really I really have to get about that. Yeah, I was a corpsman, <laughs> I was a medic, and uh, I worked at Paris Island, South Carolina, which is, at the time, the only Marine Corps recruit depot and so I worked at 1st Battalion and I was a medic then. And that was before you know, I was straight then, or at least I thought I was. You know? Right. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, back in our days, back in our days, I don't think we really had a choice, black men particularly, yeah. to be gay. I mean, you know, this is like 80s shit, you know? You know, it mm -hmm. still wasn't, you know, still wasn't this gay rights thing, still wasn't as. Mm -hmm. prevalent as it has become right so yeah. it wasn't you know the word gay wasn't really something that was talked about and bannered about in the black community certainly not in my no. house yeah you, you didn't come out until 35 right maybe a little earlier than that I think. okay i came out after college because i was in a fraternity first black president of an all-white fraternity in san jose state oh my nice. gosh <laughs> wow I, I, you are the most proud of that it seems yeah, yeah. i love my bros yeah i got a story about that when i went to fucking Memphis, the national in memphis they're like what you doing here <laughs> <laughs> well how did you get started in i mean because you have led some of the most amazing organizations. I mean, most recently here in Los Angeles, the the um, the in the, the the LA Black Pride and sort of the things you've done around LA Black Pride and all the work you've done there, which has been so amazing. And that's how I first came to know of you. And then looking more into you, the things you've done with the cannabis movement and how it impacted people in the during the AIDS epidemic and so many different things. So, how did you get started in your social justice activist work? Well, I think sometimes being a gay man, you just, you know, you got to find purpose in life. And uh, I, 
the Navy part, you know, my father was in the Navy. He, he retired chief warrant officer. And, you know, after high school, what was I going to do here in L.A.? Mm-hmm. I certainly wasn't ready college bound. Hadn't really thought about that. So I think my first job out of high school, I was I graduated from Dorsey at like 17. Mm-hmm. And I got a job at Hearst Rent-A-Car at the airport. And, uh, you know, hanging out here in L.A., I knew... I, I, could, I, I knew I, there's not a lot I could miss if I left for three or four years. That was my rationale. So let me get out of here three or four years, join the Navy. And this, again, long before Don't Ask, Don't Tell, you would get kicked out in the Navy if, if you, they found out that you were gay. In fact, I, as a medic, there were me, there were the, the female drill instructors were getting kicked out by masses. And they were, I, again, I worked at Paris Island. They mm-hmm. had to come in for the discharge physicals. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, all these sergeants are getting discharge physicals. For, why not? Why? Because they were getting ensnared and becoming lesbians. I can tell you a time in the Navy where Naval Investigative Services had me in their office, came mm-hmm. out to my house because someone had, someone that they found out was gay suspected that I was, and, and in order for me to disprove them, at the time I was living with a girl, so, you know, I wasn't. In order mm-hmm. for me to disprove them, I was living off base with a girl, white girl, by the way, Buford, South Carolina. Yeah. And uh, they had, they, they wanted to come out to my house. And I had to let them, and mm-hmm. they did. They came out to my house and they looked through my photo albums, you know, to see if there was any evidence of me being gay. So Were you nervous like, at all? Like, what was that like? Well, I, not at all, because I wasn't then. You know, mm-hmm. I hadn't had any uh, any interactions with... I knew the guy who they got. I, I think I had hit on him, though. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know... Well, let me ask. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. I, I guess I, I was reading about this a little bit earlier. I didn't know that there was so much crossover between the cannabis movement, legalizing cannabis, and HIV act, HIV/AIDS activism. That surprised me. So, HIV/AIDS was a reason that cannabis became legal. Can Dennis you explain Perone, that? Yeah, yeah how so? Dennis Perone's lover was dying of AIDS, and in San Francisco, they were saying, "Fuck it, you can at least, you know." Give a man a choice. So, but but like, c- can you tell me like yeah. specifically how does how did cannabis like play into this? Like, well, I does think it for the first time America was able to give compassion. Yeah, I think for the first time America was able to see. I mean, there had been all these diseases many times, many years before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always been cancer. It's always been these other ailments. But I think for the first time, you know, you saw people whittling away, mm-hmm. and you saw mm-hmm. you saw AIDS. A lot. You saw Rock Hudson. You saw, you know, you saw these emaciated, emaciated people mm-hmm. uh, with AIDS. Another story about HIV. You know, I was a medic, and so before I went back to college, I was a nurse here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I worked on some of the AIDS wards here. In the early days, when they, the nurses didn't want to go in the rooms and touch the patients. Right. I remember being at UCLA Hospital as a nurse. Nurse. As, as, a, as, a, as a licensed vocational nurse. And I remember there was this one patient and they had, them in, they had patients in isolation, you know, in the rooms, you know, isolated rooms where you don't want to breathe the air, that kind of thing. You have to go in with gloves and, 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 and shields on back in those mm-hmm. days because mm-hmm. you didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so I remember the nurses, the Filipino nurses at the nurses station talking about, you know, the guy's got AIDS, but at one time he was, a major athlete at UCLA. But by that time, he had all crumbled up, you know, they had a carposis. Mm-hmm. And I remember also having seen his mother. His mother flew in and she was sitting in the room with him. But I remember also him asking me just to touch him because he just wants to touch him. Yeah. And then there was a hospital, West LA, I think it's, I'm not sure if it's still there, but they had AIDS ward. Mm-hmm. And there was this rows like you know Nazi camp, you know, just one whole row of AIDS guys, another whole row of AIDS guys, and at the time, all we could do was keep them comforting. Yeah, mm-hmm. couldn't didn't know what was going on. He's just dying. Right. Yeah. And uh, I remember at five o'clock, their lovers would come and get in bed with them and pull the curtains. 
Those that had lovers would mm -hmm. get in bed with them and caretake for them yeah. and be there for them. So these are images in my head. And I'm only probably like 21, 22. Mm -hmm. That's what made me quit nursing. Well, and then do this shit. Yeah. I mean, just, just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, like, move on from that. But just to clarify for our listeners, Dennis Perone was a, a, a very prominent uh, activist in San Francisco who, he, he really was an activist for leading for the legalization of cannabis. And the work that you did, Paul, with the Inglewood Wellness Center, specifically targeting black men who were, who were, who were, who had HIV or who had AIDS and who benefited from the medical benefits of cannabis and the treatment well, again, of cannabis. It all started, you know, I was in Oakland and I became a board member of the Oakland Cannabis Buyers Club for Jeff, through Jeff Jones. Mm -hmm. And I saw, for the first time I saw who, who was really in line. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a board member, I'd get off work, you know, not get off work, but I could go to the Oakland Cannabis Buyers Club, it's the only club that had, was open. And I would look into the line, I would see who was in line, black mm -hmm. people, broke down, coming on off of drugs, you know, in their wheelchairs. I could see who the patients were. Because for the yeah. first time, black people had access to quality weed. Yeah. And so Oakland Cannabis Buyers Club was open right after Dennis was shut down. Well, obviously the feds were still gonna, you know, come in and shut Oakland Cannabis Club down. What saved Oakland was Jeff Jones had an end with Nate Miley, who was a city councilman in Oakland, and Oakland declared a state of emergency. Hmm. And they basically named us board members and members of that Oakland Cannabis Bias Club, agents of the city. And that prevented that slowed them down from coming in and shutting down Oakland. So what I saw with that, and of course, you know, Rob Rage and all, and they went to the, they went to the Supreme Court and they lost. Yeah. But I saw how that happened. And so honestly, you know, years later, when I became HIV positive and I became sick, I had to recognize, you know, I, you know, in the back then you were taking 15, 20 pills a fucking day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, I just couldn't keep up with my nine to five anymore. I mean, mm -hmm. the early medications, they were horrible. I mean, it had my skin I completely changed colors. I just, yeah. you know. How did cannabis help you when, when, after you became positive? Well, I mean, I think I was probably positive for a while, but when, you know, that descended into having AIDS, because mm -hmm. I wasn't doing anything about it, you know, back then in those days, because back then in those days, early days, it wasn't much you could do about it. And the treatment was worse yeah. than the cure. Yeah. <laughs> so in some sense, I'm <clears throat> grateful that I didn't take the AZT. Like mm -hmm. some of my friends who were taking that shit are now no, no longer here. Yeah. Uh, and I'm grateful that my immune system held out long enough um, that, you know, that, uh, let me change this name on this, that um, allowed me to do that. But more importantly, so when I knew that I had to make a change that I was probably not going to be able to keep my nine to five anymore, that I could probably find a city in Los Angeles with similar politics to Oakland. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I first thought Maxine Waters district. Mm-hmm. And then I remember going to the San Francisco library and looking at the map, and then I saw Inglewood. And that's how there. the Inglewood Wellness Center came about? Exactly how that started. Because I, then... I did the exact same thing in Oakland. I, I moved right across the street from City Hall. Mm -hmm. I didn't ask permission, I just did. Which, I mean, that was a pivotal time in the cannabis legalization movement. And not only that, but then that also led... Just a few years after you started the Inglewood Wellness Center, you became for the city the Los Angeles County Commissioner for HIV/AIDS, right? From like in right. the in well, the I early felt like I had to have some cover because I felt like if they came for me, I had to have some legitimacy. Yeah, I had to actually do the work. You know, yeah, right. I couldn't just sit in there and sell weed. You know, I, yeah. I got it like that. <laughs> They're but, not going to arrest Paul. the commissioner for weed. <laughs> but, but Paul, tell me, like, what what about weed got you like? What specifically did you feel so passionate about? Does it just work for you? So like, does it change your life? Did it help your um, your experience with HIV AIDS? Like, like what what specifically got you excited uh, about? I think the universe the has things here for us to take care of us mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. the big pharma came along. Yeah, 
I think, you know, you know, long before, the, you know, the pharmacies were here, the, the, the plants and herbs and things were here for a reason. Yeah. And the, to make some draconian law where I say, no, you can have everything else, but you can't have this. Mm -hmm. it, just, it, just, it just completely strikes at target, target, targetism. Mm -hmm. We know y'all like this. We know why marijuana law became, because we know why it became mm -hmm. illegal. Yeah. Because they knew we liked it. And so there was a reason, there was a way to steer black people. But also, let me tell you, I had, fortunately, I remember I, I met a person who worked for Terrence Hallahan, assistant to district attorney Terrence Hallahan. I forget mm -hmm. the guy's name. Fred Garden, I think his name was. Yeah. And he drove me way up to meet Dennis Perone and, uh, at Dennis Perone's farm, mm -hmm. marijuana farm. And I had never been on a marijuana farm before. I think there's some pictures published of me yeah. and I mm -hmm. doing that. And I remember he and I having this conversation. And I just, I look back at it. I had the support because I got arrested. And I had mm -hmm. a support of Normal. I had a support of Dale Garinger. They were sort of sent to take care of him. Mm -hmm. And... So I think about it. What What are you thinking right now? Getting arrested. Mm -hmm. Going to jail. Having Eric Shevin and Bruce Margolin driving up to Bakersfield for free to take to make sure that I'd be okay. Mm -hmm. And, and just then, to, and then, go ahead. Yeah. It's okay. It happens. <laughs> just didn't been having that support, you know. And yeah. It's like, how did I? How did they? You know, how did that happen? How did I meet these people? Yeah. And become part of this groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know. And just to fill in, just to fill in for our listeners, because you know the work that the 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 people you're speaking of that that were so pivotal in getting weed legalized in California, um, they they were the people you were working with. But your role specifically, which I think is so important to acknowledge, is the impact that you know cannabis and cannabis laws and incarceration rates for people of color and for queer people around cannabis was incredibly high before it was legalized in California. And it's up, it's the work that you and did. I knew I, could, I knew I knew I couldn't just come into LA. Yeah. I couldn't just set up shop and just LA general because they come arrest me. Mm -hmm. I knew I had to be in the area that would have black politicians that would get it. Mm -hmm. Similarly to Oakland. I'd mm -hmm. have to find a city councilman and be in his district and he provide shelter. And so mm -hmm. at the time, I remember going to Inglewood City Council meetings, thinking that, because I just opened up. I just found me a shop and opened up. And so I would go to Inglewood City Council meetings thinking that it would be being discussed. And it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I, at the time, I cloaked the name IMCC Wellness Center, Inglewood Medical Cannabis Club. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and I didn't put that on the card. Yeah. <laughs> and so Curran Price, who is now LA City Councilman, was then was then was the then city councilman for that district in Inglewood stopped by one afternoon and uh, he asked for my card and he said what does it stand for and I told him he said I thought so and he left and the rest is history well and so can you tell me about like I mean because I do before I move on from cannabis because I really really want to talk about LA Black Pride too which is incredible and the work you've done around that but before we get to that what when 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 cannabis was legalized in California, in your own opinion, how did that benefit uh, people of color in California and also queer people? Like, how was that instrumental has. to our life? I don't know if it has. I don't know if it has. I mean, one of the great things of Oakland, one of the big pushes of Jeff Jones was grow your fucking own. Mm. And that's what's really got me started. I forgot about that. Jeff mm -hmm. Jones at the club set up a very easy way to show people how to this, this, it's a weed. 
and how you really can grow it your own. And uh, I did that, and I forgot about that. <laughs> I did that. I had a part of life from one of my attorney brothers, a one of one light, and they gave me some clones, and I grew some white widow, took that to the club, and they put $2,000 cash in my hand, the most cash I'd ever gotten in my life. I got a paycheck before, but they put $2,000 cash in my hand. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck this. I took that money, bought another light. <laughs> <laughs> How big did your farm get? Took that money, bought a house. <laughs> right. Oh my God. Right. I'm not so sure. Even even with me, I couldn't compete because it's not big business. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really get into this to be big business. I got into this to change a law and to make a difference. So I succeeded in doing what I, what my passion was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I certainly, I certainly think it's still overpriced. It should yeah. be half the price that it is. I think uh, they're not, they're not encouraging like the old clubs, the Oakland cannabis buyers clubs. Mm-hmm. We're encouraging, you know, self-sufficiency. I don't know if, there's room in this new movement for that. I think mm-hmm. they just, they see it. The, the grassroots of this effort was, you can grow your own. Yeah. Grow your mm-hmm. own medicine. And I don't see that, I don't see that as part of any of these clubs that mm-hmm. are profit, profiting off of, you know. Yeah, making it, a, making it available to not just, you know, the people who have the high-end jobs, but also just the the everyday worker who probably yeah. during COVID has been laid off. It's and not who... fucking hard to grow. Yeah. It's a weed. Marijuana I don't know. Easy to grow. I don't know though, Paul. I've killed every plant I've ever tried to grow. So I, I mean, I, maybe you can grow it for me, but I don't think I can grow it. Well, I mean, I think some of us had some natural ability. Some of us probably grew cotton back in the day, you know. <laughs> Elliot, what were we gonna ask? Oh yeah, we wanted. To, oh, you started the LA Black Pride movement in 2016. I didn't start it. Uh, what? I didn't start it. I I inherited it. LA Black Pride has been around a long time, a long time, probably 20, mm-hmm. 30 years. You know, and I'm gonna, this, this is part of my next effort is to tell this story. We black people have been having black pride, ooh, 30 years or so, away from West Hollywood, you know, away from, we, it got started, we were going to Malibu, been doing it for a long time. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, we had to do it because back then in the day, the guys who started, Dwayne Bremont, who started, we were as black again, black, Guys, we weren't okay with being gay in the city. In that way, yeah, in that way. So we would find, they found comfort driving way out to Malibu and it became an annual Mm -hmm. event. I inherited it and became president of it. And I moved it from Malibu Mm -hmm. to Los Angeles. But you know, there's another whole history of the black gay experience here in Los Angeles. I mean, we had our own clubs beyond the catch one. We had the study, we had the annex, we yeah. had Papa Bears. And I remember, you know, West Hollywood wasn't so uh, open and welcoming to black people back in the day. Mm, I remember yeah. there are many times when, you know, sort of black people would go like to a club on a certain night and club owners would just find out, okay, it was a black night, they would just change it. They would start playing karaoke music. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. And no, nobody yeah, wants right. that. I mean, that would make me. <laughs> I would chase anyone away. So, yeah. you know, things have evolved, yeah. but, you know, we're looking, you know, 30 years ago, it wasn't how it is now. Yeah. What, what, what was the main difference between the um, Pride in Malibu and then when you brought it into LA? What was the difference between the two events? Well, cost, usually. I mean, Malibu didn't want us out there. And, you know, it had over the years, you know, in fact, for me, it just didn't make sense. We should be able to have a pride in our own city. We should have to drive out, you know, 27 miles mm-hmm. for the July weekend to get to some beach because it became, you know, that was back then. And, um, yeah. and then the permit fees that the organization had to pay, they had to have a whole lot of sheriffs. We had to hire a whole lot of sheriffs to check all the bags mm-hmm. that were coming in there. Because over the years, there probably had been some elements of some challenges. 
you know, and and yeah. uh, and again, we're out we're out in Malibu. It wasn't like they they had you know they had welcome mat for us anyway. Big difference when I I I was the first one to move it from Malibu to a beach to a local beach here in Los Angeles because when I first became president, that was the first thing that I did. I do want to ask you one question of something that I thought was really incredible last year during of course the response to George Floyd and, and the Black Lives Matter movement that was the uprising in in the United States last year so many amazing things and you were integral and integral in so much of what happened here in Los Angeles one of you know, one of the many leaders that were a part of that movement but one of the things that you did that I am so impressed by that I love so much is the banner along Hollywood Boulevard on the street you were one of the I'm sure there are many people involved in making that happen but that said all black lives matter. And it, it, part of it was in rainbow and it was just such a wonderful statement. And it, and it mm -hmm. spread it across the movement. country, many cities. Yeah. Adopt, it caused a movement. And I mean, tell me how you, I mean, I don't know who was involved in that. Tell me the story behind that and why well, that was so I think important. Christopher Street West, the organization that typically does pride, wanted to do something around black lives matter about the, mm -hmm. the uh, uh, the pushback was, you're probably not the right organization to now be thinking about Black Lives Matter, Christopher Street West, because, yeah, yeah you know, you got a sort of a mm. shaky history with Black mm. people. Right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> karaoke right. nights. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. The, there was a couple of board members on, who were black, black people on Christopher Street West, uh, Brandon Anthony and Gerald Garth, uh, decided that they wanted to do something on in, in Hollywood. And mm -hmm. I can tell you the day before they did a Zoom meeting, maybe two days before they did a Zoom meeting with a whole bunch of, of us black leaders. And baby, that shit went down so horrible. <laughs> oh no. I remember watching it. I remember it seeing clips so of it. Angry. <laughs> ah! Next year, ah, we can't do it here. Maybe we should do it on, you know, on Mars. Yeah. It's just all over the fucking place. And so, yeah, I impressed with Brandon and Gerald. They after they hung up from that meeting, they called about two other people. And they said, "You want to be part of this?" And I said, "Hell yeah!" And uh, <laughs> <laughs> we just sort of, we just sort of went ahead with it anyway. And you know, it was a big community effort an idea to put that right on Hollywood. Yeah. Hollywood yeah. Boulevard, and I was a leader of that march and lead, the leader of that. And I got picked and chosen and mm -hmm. asked to, to lead that, that that thing, that that historic event. Yeah. And I was very happy to do so. And Before the march, people rallied together at Hollywood and Highland. Our black ancestors who have died and built this country. Paul Scott from the LA Black LGBTQ movement is one of the organizers of the march. I'll be the gentleman that starts this thing off. Sort of my Martin Luther King, Barack Obama moment, but Hollywood. He's also in charge of leading hundreds of supporters down the streets of Hollywood at the All Black Lives Matter Solidarity March. Sunday's march was organized by a group of black LGBTQ leaders. I know that these things have been going on forever. And the real difference of today versus 20 years ago are camera phones. Now the world is seeing what we've been saying for 400 years. The world is finally now seeing that. And it is now resonating over and over and over again. Today and for the next few weeks, you're black, you're black, everyone's black. And we feel that. That's what it means to me. To see, you know, again, you know, I'm, old, I'm 58. You, you younger people think differently than we older people do. And, it's ha and, I'm, and I'm happy to see it, you know? You, you younger people you know, in your 20s and 30s and 40s, y'all are a lot more progressive than my times were. Mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, you all are able to, to be a lot more, I guess, progressive or pushy or more adamant and change. Yeah. Adamant, yeah. And, yeah. and adamant mm -hmm. and change and proud of that change than we were able to do in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Born in the 60s. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shortly after Martin Luther yeah. King died, you know? So yeah. we're making progress. Mm -hmm. And I and I, I you know, I'm I'm ecstatic for these meetings here and for you all to to talk about Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. I'm not used to having white guys mm -hmm. talking about black people. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I will say one of the reasons why I think, you know, we're able to have these conversations and so many people are able to have these conversations is because of the work that you and your generation of, of queer activists, of black yeah. activists, of people who were really a part of really creating a world in which we could have the ability to have a podcast, to have someone like you on, which is kind mm. of a nice little, so see how I did that? Yeah. I put a bow on that When you have been part of the movement, I mean, you, you, you won't see a march, you won't see a Martin Luther King march without having white people in it. Mm. I've always been part of it. It's a collective effort, you know, and, and, uh, and I'm happy, proud of you all that are doing the effort and that are able to talk about things openly and allow us to be more comfortable talking mm-hmm. about things. I still mm-hmm. have challenges with talking about black issues or sure. even gay, you know? So, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. again, I'm you know, born in the 60s. So I have my, yeah, you know, yeah. my, 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 my mindset. But what you all are now doing, transgendered rights, is I'm like, I'm impressed, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I never thought gay people would get yeah. married. And now I'm able to talk about being gay. And that, mm-hmm. that I think my mm-hmm. next push there's an internal dialogue we black people need to have about us and being gay. Mm-hmm. And you know, black people, there are some, there's a, there's a, there's a uh, segment of the black population that doesn't want to, ter- to, to accept the term gay. Mm-hmm. They call themselves same gender mm-hmm. love and they think there's a white, the term gay comes from a white perspective. So mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. hasn't always been easy for us to come together on a, a term. So I'm happy mm-hmm. to see, you know, the letters getting bigger, LGBTQI. Yeah. But you know, it should be saying that the loving, which is what black people mm-hmm. tend to call themselves. They they think that's a, you know, from Cleo Monago, think that's a more appropriate term of calling us same gender loving than just gay. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there are some fights that's I'm just not fighting anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to pick your yeah. battles, I guess, yeah. right? Well, you know what. I'm I mean, as you said, well, thank you so much, Paul, for doing this. I definitely can say we're all going to mm-hmm. get a high right. honor today. And and yeah, thank, thank you, you so much for all the work that you've done. I appreciate, really appreciate you all. And keep doing what you're doing. Do more of it. And another thing. So when it comes to weed and marijuana. Weed. Uh, <laughs> you say Weed. <laughs> <laughs> um THC CBD man I'm doing like my 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 references are like Cheech and Chong I'm like yeah, they stayed at days and confused you you saw Matthew McConaughey's pants and you were stuck on it from then on oh it's my so god funny. he was really hot in that movie um but uh so obviously everyone has their own weed story um yes. and uh Brent you actually wrote that <laughs> you wrote the question what are your favorite munchies and yours is watermelon yeah by <laughs> the way munchie I, food I, Yes, because fruit is, I mean, I guess it's technically high calories, but it's like sort of like. No, fruit is healthier. not high calories. I, I refuse to believe that. Yeah, well, well, you might be <laughs> in some trouble then. But uh, but no, like when I was, I had like a three or four years in New York where I was, I smoked a cup several times a week. Well, two, you lived with a four. roommate that when you I walked into your apartment, yeah. you had secondhand reefer moments. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Noah smoked constantly. Yeah. And, and so I just kind of, you know, as sort of residual effect from that I, I i got into it and i was getting you know you gain a lot of weight like if, if you start smoking a lot and eating like watermelon ruffles is, so i started eating fruit and watermelon is the perfect munchie because it's it's sweet and refreshing at the same time i mean it's it's by the way it's also every time i eat it i'm like this is the best thing that's ever happened this is better it than is dessert delicious. you yeah, know it's delicious my, my, my munchie of choice is cheese doodles okay i don't veer i don't i don't veer towards savory foods that much like i don't mm-hmm. care about chips and salty snacks or whatever obviously yeah. i have a sweet tooth but you don't even I like that t- much no. i don't but i love i love the texture of a cheese doodle and i love a cheese ball uh, those mm. tins i used to, when i i used to be like uh, I, I used to like do i don't know how to put this um eat eat for last in high school no no oh, I mean, yeah, you've said that before for laughs in high school to deflect <laughs> from my you were like cookie monster and like you would just yeah like yeah mash I would walk food around. into your face 
Yeah, I would walk around with a tub of those, like from Costco, right. those cheese balls. Oh, that's right. Being like, look yeah. at me. I look like I eat you food told or whatever. Me that you know, Jeffrey yeah. Dahmer did something very similar. <laughs> oh, no. That is I don't so want to know. funny. But I yeah. love those cheese balls. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're yeah. good, man. They're really good. Yeah. I've, I've, yeah. Been, I've been watching my figure. Mm. uh recently and uh and but i had some, i had some cheese doodles i gave myself a day off on saturday i had some cheese doodles and it was cheese it doodles was are delicious fucking amazing they're so yeah. good what about you alan i think you both are pussies um and <laughs> i think you need to do what a true stoner would do is full on put it on a credit card it doesn't matter money is irrelevant in these moments foie gras you order a shit ton of Taco Bell, just all of the oh, Taco yeah. Bell you can get. You make sure you get you get one of everything, basically. Yeah, that, sounds that is what so good. I do. I don't do watermelon. I don't do cheese doodles. <laughs> I do Taco Bell. <laughs> mm, that actually sounds... I do have a funny stoner story though that I want to share because and then we'll talk it, about Taco Bell. But yeah, go ahead. It, I mean, you can start with Taco Bell if you want. What do you love about Taco no, Bell? No, 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 no. I'm just kidding. Go. <laughs> I. One of the first times, now I was late to smoking pot, right? I, I had not really partook too much as a good Mormon boy, did not do much. Although I was sitting on a lot of dicks, so maybe I wasn't a good Mormon boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was working on a, a Wesley Clark's campaign for president. He was running <laughs> of for course president you in 2004, were. yes. And I was, in Charleston, I was in Charleston, South Carolina. I was really young. And what I hate the campaign, he was he was gonna lose so badly. Like no, oh, I was remember. Happening. And, <laughs> and, and South Carolina was like at the tail end of right before he was gonna drop out. And this girl I was working with, she was like, well, let's just get like really shit faced and just like have a good day. And so we did. And I yeah. got so stoned. And then I got a call that from the advanced person for his wife, Gert Clark, that she that they were coming to pick me up for an event. Oh and no. I be, and I was so wasted to the point of I could not even like physically do things. So I got I got I showered, oh, no. I did everything. I did everything I needed to do to get ready. And he was I a general, did, right? I yeah, he was a general. And I walked out. Sir, he yes, was, sir. No, he wasn't there. He wasn't there. I will I know, say that. I know. It was it was his wife's advance team. But I walked out of the house that they got for us to the car. They took one look at me and that was only then did I realize I showered with my clothes on. <gasps> Oh my oh, God. Shit. Or I just put the clothes on <laughs> right after I got out of the shower and didn't oh, think yeah. that I was still wet. And the clothes were just like stuck to me. I was so wasted. Oh my God. Oh my I could God. not. That was the worst stoner moment of my life. And it's probably wow. the best too. Because it involves oh. a potential first lady that never was. That's really, <laughs> that's really fun. I have an, my, a small anecdote too, if you want to hear it. Please. Oh, well, actually, I, I have one, but mine's yeah, slightly please, more please. of a downer, so we'll, we'll end on you. Yeah. Um, how dare um, you? Um, you, to, you want me to end on no, me? No, end no, on no, me, yeah, right? we'll, we'll end on okay. you. So I remember the first time I smoked weed, I, you know, uh, this was like maybe sophomore year of high school, and Ann Arbor, Michigan, my hometown, beautiful liberal Midwest college town. Great stoner city. That's right. It is very famously mm -hmm. had... Um, uh, made marijuana possession a civil infraction uh, from wow. like the 70s on or something. I'm forgetting exactly the date they did it. So That's a big deal. You, it's a really big deal. Written um, into law by Mary Travers herself. <laughs> Mary Travers herself from Peter, Paul and Mary. But with that said, so I had a friend who was like, let's go, let's go get stoned for the first time. And I was so excited. And I came you home from school. I came home from school and my mom was like, your uncle Ray died. <laughs> and I was like, what? And this was this was an uncle that I, I, I had never met. He was sort of estranged from, from the family, but he was very close with my dad. And so it was, I remember that not to be, not to be too much of a downer. It was the only time I've ever seen my dad cry was when oh, wow. he came home from work that night. And, and I was like, I really cannot get caught smoking weed tonight. I still went, I still went and I, and I smoked weed in, in my friend Ben's car and I did not get high. Because didn't get high. You, you don't. You don't on the first time. Sometimes. Oh, interesting. I, you know, I, I think I like didn't like the coughing. I was like, I'm done. You know? <laughs> yeah, that isn't a fun part early on. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Elliot? My my story is about um, edibles and how I. Mm. I mean, a lot of people have like intense experiences with edibles. Um, my sisters and brother-in-law are huge uh, pot people, and I've been told many times that even Snoop Dogg doesn't smoke. Uh, doesn't eat edibles uh -huh. um uh but you know i love I, I love can i i i've eaten uh i think noah or, or maybe max Silvestri gave me or uh, gave me a, a weed 
an edible cookie that I yeah. <laughs> didn't realize was an edible cookie because it was just so I delicious. I edibles during twice. chemo. Edibles yeah. are great. I, I, oh, I'm sure. I yeah. Yeah, but I but I haven't had any I hadn't had any experience with them um, that was particularly interesting until uh, last summer when I uh, took two, thinking that they were both for body high only. Oh, I was misadvised, <laughs> ill advised, I guess. Oh no. <laughs> um, and I thought they were each. I thought they were each like I don't even know how I how I where the discrepancy came in, but each. Each edible was 10 milligrams of THC. Wow. Oh, no. <laughs> what happened? I, I usually, you know, I usually smoke like a, a pen. I'll take a few hits off a pen or whatever, yeah. like one wow. small edible. Your sister what happened got me was, onto the pen. I'd never used a yeah. pen before. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mind. I like the pen. Yeah. But uh, what happened was I was playing the Nintendo Switch and suddenly okay. I was like, I'm in paper mario i'm oh in the game God. like it just <laughs> oh my God. i was like i'm in the game and it was so fucking weird and then i somehow i ended up in the bathtub uh trying to <laughs> appease my back pain in the bathtub facetime <laughs> my my boyfriend at the time hysterical laughing but i couldn't speak oh i was my hysterical oh my laughing God. for what felt like an hour my face was like fully red. I'm in like a bathtub, like a baby. Wow. And I just could not stop laughing, but it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't really fun. <laughs> Did you wow. have cheese doodles in the bathtub though? <laughs> no, but I, but I do remember like after all was said and done and I was like, went to go lay down and go to bed. I was like, oh my God, it's so late. That was such a long trip. And I looked at yeah. the watch, my watch and it was 7.30 PM. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, you you heard it here. Do fewer edibles, drink more can. <laughs> what would your aunt say? Because this episode was sponsored by Can, it felt only appropriate to ask which flavor of can would your aunt drink and why? How about Aunt Ramona? Grapefruit, rosemary, light. Because it's like seven calories. <laughs> um, my <laughs> my aunt Joanne would say lemon lavender because that's what that's what Temple smells like. <laughs> <laughs> How about Aunt Anne? My aunt Anne would say, "I think I would go with ginger lemongrass because I always thought that would make a good adult film star name." <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna make a drag queen name. Ginger lemongrass, lemon lavender. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for listening. I'm I have a feeling Laser. my aunt would probably be better with uh, porn star than drag queen. She'd feel uncomfortable yeah. with the drag queen, but not porn. Star. Yeah, but porn star would, would work perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm Elliot Glazer. I am Brent Sullivan. And I am H. Allen Scott. And you know what? I actually, I would like to sign off. I think we should start giving our like Instagram or like social media handles. So sure. I am Brent. I am at uh, Instagram.com slash Mr. Brent Sullivan. Alan is Instagram.com slash H Alan Scott. Here we go. <laughs> and Elliot is available at OnlyFans.com slash Tutti Fruity 69. Tutti Fruity. <laughs>